This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to the Equity Mate Summer Series of 2020, brought to you by Superhero. Over 12 episodes, we're diving into some of Australia's largest and most well known companies, as selected by you, the Equity Mates community. We'll be unpacking the company, its industry, outlooks and key financials, and in some instances, we'll also be taking the tough questions straight to the CEO, and in this episode, we are lucky enough to be joined by one of them. However, to kick it off, as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this episode. Uh, Two things that we love are... In, well, we love investing on this show, obviously. Obviously. But two particular <laughs> things we love. We've been talking a lot about IPOs this year. Yes. And we talk about reading as the best way True. to learn about investing. We do. And uh, the guest we've got today uh, brings those two together. Match made in heaven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are very fortunate to be joined uh, in the studio by Wayne Baskin, who is the Deputy CEO and CTO at Booktopia, recently listed, and co-founder and CTO at Superhero. Wayne, Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. What an intro. Very, <laughs> yeah. The pressure's on me now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. It is. You must wear a lot of hats there. What uh, Deputy CEO, CTO, and for people who are unfamiliar, that's Chief Technology Officer at Booktopia, recently listed, and then the co-founder and Chief Technology Officer at Superhero. So I think the first thing is thanks for finding the time in your day to join us. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> So uh, this conversation, we're going to really focus on Booktopia. We've recently done a bit of a deep dive on the company and, you know, it's newly listed. So it's exciting and a lot of people are looking at it at the moment. Uh, To start with, though, would love to hear how you describe Booktopia um, and yeah, what you think the company is. Yeah, sure. So Booktopia, for those that don't know, um, Australia's largest online uh, bookstore soon to be Australia's uh, largest bookstore, uh, we're hoping. We don't, we've got to look at the numbers and see where that, that ends up. Um, but what, what Booktopia is, it's, it's an online bookstore, but it's technology-enabled and it's a logistics company uh, in, in the background. So we've invested heavily in our tech. All the tech is built in-house. We've invested heavily in our distribution and our logistics. Um, and then on top of that, we're a bookstore. So as you know, uh, we sell, in our website, we sell over 6 million products. Wow. We have about 150,000 of those in stock ready to ship to our customers. 
And it's all that customer-centric approach. Everything is about the customer. Everything we do is about the customer. And that's every decision from the board level all the way down um, is thinking what's the best thing for the customer. Yeah. So let's go back to the start of the journey. Um, you know, we, we're interested in the entrepreneurial sort of spirit and what it's like to take a company from zero to IPO. What's the journey been like? And perhaps if you can talk us through some of the tough moments that you've had to get through, you've listed last week. So congratulations on that. Exciting. Um, but what's the journey been like? Look, yeah, I joined Booktopia over 12 years ago. Um, the company is now, I believe, close to 16 years old. And look, there's been a lot of great moments. There's been a lot of tough moments. Um, we didn't take any investment in the company until January 2020. Wow. So wow. there's been no investment. And it's all been built off sell more books, invest in the company, sell more books, invest in the company. And so what that means is you do you know, have some real tough moments, um, especially from a cash flow perspective, when you're growing at the rate we're growing. You know, we were, we were growing 30% year on year for many years. You know, we were BRW Fast 100, you know, I think it was eight years or something like that in a row. So, you know, there's a lot of growth, which requires a lot of cash flow and a lot of capital invested in it. And we didn't take on any capital until, as I said, the beginning of this year. So some of those tough moments are some of the tough discussions you have with your suppliers, making sure that the business is able to service the customer, what's the best thing for the customer, but also on that, you know, very, very small budgets. Um, that that we did, and you know, it's only now in the past probably few years where we feel like okay, we can we can all breathe out and we can all just say, well, what, how are we going to grow this company now that we've got you know the capital injected in it? How are we really going to you know grow and how are we going to accelerate it to the next level? What was the driving decision behind not wanting to take on investment? Like I imagine you would battle between wanting to take it on to you know speed up growth, but then I guess the other side would be not wanting to give away too much equity and bootstrap. Yeah, look, I don't think there was a need for it up until around, you know, 2015, 2016. And, you know, for those that know the story, we tried to IPO the business in 2016. Um, it was right when Amazon were deciding they were coming to Australia. And so, you know, we would go through the roadshow, we went through the whole process and every question was, what about Amazon? What about Amazon? And I'm sure, you know, in about five minutes, you guys are going to ask me what about Amazon. <laughs> so I won't, won't, I won't jump the question. But I think what happened then is the investors all had this mindset that Amazon are coming to Australia they're going to crush retail. They're going to crush e-commerce. And, you know, a few weeks out, a month out from us actually lodging the prospectus, which was all done, ready to go, Amazon actually formally announced they were coming to Australia. And all the investors were like, not going to happen. You know, we want to see how this plays out. We want to see what happens. And so from there, we pulled the IPO. Um, talk about one of the tough moments. That was one of the tough mm -hmm. moments. You know, I think we'd put around, you know, probably 18 months worth of work into that IPO. Um, it was a long process, getting the company ready for IPO. It was a tough moment. Um, you know, my, my CEO, and, and he's one of the co-founders, he bounced straight back. He was straight back in it. And for me, it probably took a couple of weeks to actually just, you know, in, you know internalize that and say, okay, that didn't happen, but we're going to move on from here. Yeah. Um, and then since then, we actually did try raise some capital after that. We tried a crowdfunding with Equitize, which, you know, I think the market wasn't ready for. We were going to be one of the biggest ever crowdfunded companies. And I think what happened is people were just putting in like $500, you know, mm. $1,000. And you don't get to $10 million yeah, by yeah, putting in yeah. $500. So <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting journey. I think, you know, equitizing those guys are onto a good thing. I think we were just before our time. And then around, yeah, January 2020, we just, well, sorry, probably late 2019, we decided the way to raise capital is to have someone in your business who lives and breathes the business, but also knows how to raise capital. It was probably the only 
role in the business we didn't have. We were great marketers. We were great at sales. We had the tech. We had the product. We had the strategy. We just didn't ever have anyone in the business who could raise capital. So we brought in an external consultant and gave him, you know, a role in the business. He had his own business cards. He sat in the business. He learned the business. And what the difference was there is that he learned the business. He spent months in the business understanding it. So he could go off to those meetings. It didn't take me out of the business, didn't take you know, our CEO out of the business. He was going to all those meetings and having those discussions. He also had the connections. You know, raising capital is all about having connections. Yeah. I've learned that on my, on my other journeys as well. It's like, if you've got the connections, you can raise capital easily. We're learning that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We might get that consultant's number after this. <laughs> but, but, but him knowing the business was, he could talk as a Booktopian, yeah, not as an investment yeah. banker trying to sell Booktopia. And that was one of the major differences. So uh, you're right. We are going to talk about Amazon. And I would love to s- frame this part of the conversation by going back to, you know, your conversations in 2016 after you pulled the IPO, Amazon had announced and... You know, you, I guess you guys were sort of circling the wagons and figuring out how you were going to fight this online retail giant that had disrupted so many other countries. Um, what were those conversations like and how did you see yourselves positioning Booktopia against Amazon as it entered? Yeah, pre-2016, Amazon's biggest downfall, I wouldn't say downfall because I'm sure they will go on to do well, but to their launch. Their launch was nothing that anyone expected. I think we can all agree on that. They haven't blown the lights out that everyone expected. And I think the reason for that was they actually had too much media coverage. Everyone knew from the beginning of 2015, Amazon are coming to Australia. So if you look at companies that have thrived, and I'm just not going to talk Booktopia for now, but look at Catch, for example. Catch, if Amazon had launched without Catch knowing anything, they would have been dead in the water. Yep. They pivoted brilliantly. They built a marketplace. They've become one of Australia's largest marketplaces. And today they're thriving in an Amazon environment. You know, so there were so many companies that actually had that, you know, that at that time, that, you know, to be able to say, what is our strategy? What is our Amazon strategy? And for us, we, I remember a meeting we had and we were already, you know, at that time looking at, you know, movie topia and game topia and toy topia and, you know, all these, all these exotic, you know, these arms of the business we were going to build out. And I remember thinking and sitting down with my CEO and saying, look, we need to focus. If we're gonna, if, you know, if we're gonna do one thing, we need to do it well. And then when, when we looked around the world at companies that were thriving in an Amazon environment, it was exactly that. They knew their niche, they knew what they were good at, and they didn't try out Amazon, Amazon. They didn't try to sell everything to everyone. And I think Amazon's you know, thing is they just wanna sell everything to everyone in the universe. You know, they're not even stuck on earth. They, they, they wanna do everything. <laughs> so for us, it was, well, let's stick to earth, but let's, let's, let's be good at one thing. And we decided that was books. So we, you know, we looked at all that strategy we were putting into toys and, and all the other you know, product lines. We said, no, nah, let's come back to books. Let's focus on books and we can just do so much better. And if you look at countries like Canada, there's some great book retailers there taking Amazon on. Um, America as well, there's some still some great book retailers taking Amazon on. So it was all about that focus and it was all about just staying you know, true to who we are and not trying to be Amazon because that's just never going to work. Mm. So you mentioned that you're a tech company, logistics company and have a focus on the customer, all three things that Amazon also say. <laughs> how does your tech compare and how as an investor should we be thinking about Booktopia versus Amazon when you're both sort of pitching the same sort of business philosophy i guess yeah sure i think the two questions there our tech um built in house you know we always buy versus build we always see what's out there and we've just found that being able to build our own tech and it's all commercial grade 
got a team of you know 30 engineers you know supporting it and that team's growing rapidly now but the point there is we can get the efficiencies that we want out of that tech without relying on other people so we can make small changes that make massive differences you know we're shipping out at the moment around 30 to 40,000 units a day out of our distribution center so if we save one second per unit we ship out you can think of the efficiencies we can get there yeah. the same on our website if we can increase our conversion rate by you know one percent that small little one percent last year we did 165 million this year we'll we'll do over 200 million in revenue you know you can just imagine what one percent really yeah. you know, gets you um in revenue so that's our tech that's where we are and um, as far as amazon versus booktopia Amazon have moved off books. Yes, they still sell books, but it's not where their focus is. And especially in Australia, it's not where their focus is. I think Amazon's revenues worldwide are around 3 to 5% books. You know, for a company that started in books, yeah. that 100% books, you know, they've moved to 3 to 5%. So really, you know, their focus is on um, the marketplace. It's, you know, it's facilitating that sale from one person to another and taking a pretty significant clip on the way through. And then also helping those people with their logistics and taking a clip on the way through of that. So great business model. You know, you don't have to post anything. You don't have to do anything if it's a marketplace transaction or if you're doing your, all the logistics, you're, you're charging for it. So they don't focus on books. They obviously do sell books in Australia, but it's not one of their focuses. Yeah, right. So one more question about Amazon and then we'll, we might move to other competitors and other questions. I'm sure you're sick of the Amazon questions at this point. <laughs> uh, but I do want to ask about the Kindle. So Amazon launched that, what, 2007? Around there. And, you know, it, it's obviously done well for them. How do you think about the Kindle and, and competing against that when I, I guess you guys sell other A-rated books and physical books? Yeah, sure. So we launched a, a new partnership with Rakuten Kobo. Rakuten is a large uh, company out of Japan um, who merged with Kobo, a, a Canadian company. And we launched that partnership early this year um, in the peak of COVID. Um, <laughs> we were selling ebooks before then. It was all our own solution. And this was one where we looked and said, hold on, it'd be better to have a partner. And what we launched there was audio streaming and e um, all on Kobo devices. Um, and you can read it on your iPhone and Android, but they've also got the physical device now, which competes with the Kindle. What's interesting in the market is the eBooks are actually on the decline worldwide. Oh, really? Wow. Um, so, you know, I've said it for many years, the Kindle or the e-reader is the bread maker of our time. You know, <laughs> everyone thought, yeah, it's a great idea. I'll get mum one, I'll get dad one, you know, let them have a try. Some people have stuck. And, you know, I say that to some people, they go, oh, I read all my books on an e-reader. And I'm like, yeah, but you probably read a lot of books. Mm. Yeah. And for people that are pro prolific readers, the e-reader is, you know, is massive because they don't have to have all these books everywhere and they don't have to wait for the next one. And, you know, there's people that are reading multiple books a week and it makes sense. For someone who just wants to, you know, get out of their mind, you know, work and move off the digital platforms, they don't want to read on their if on their iPhone or their Android. They don't want to have a second device they're taking with them anywhere. They just want to escape into a book, you know, a book which has the smell, the feel, you know, all of that that you just take so for granted. So if you look worldwide, if you look in the States in particular, e-books are on the decline. What is on the increase is audiobooks and audio streaming. And that's where Audible, which is Amazon's uh, audio business, and we're competing with our audio streaming business. Now, the interesting thing there is while that's great and it's on the, on the increase and everyone loves it, the cost to produce an audiobook yeah. is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you did an ebook, you took the file that was getting printed, you converted it into an EPUB file, and you put it on, you, 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 know, you could sell it just like that. 
with an audiobook, you've got to get someone to read it, someone with them, some great podca- podcast voices <laughs> like yourselves. You know? But then, hold on, I, I'm in Australia. That's an American accent. I don't yeah. want to hear an American. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm in, I'm in Canada. I don't want to hear an Australian read it. Or, so all of a sudden now, what, what they're finding is they have to do multiple reads of the same book. You've got to pay that person because they're a professional. You know, they're not just Wayne Baskin here sitting here with you know, no experience in voiceovers. So it's an interesting one. And, and, and we're, we're following it. We definitely believe that we should give our readers the content wherever they want it you know we're content agnostic if you want the physical book if you want the audio book if you want the ebook that's our belief yeah yeah audiobooks are a funny one for me it feels like books are written to be read and sometimes audiobooks sound a bit clunky they mm. just they seem like the worst version of podcasting <laughs> unless it's <laughs> unless it's read by uh, barack obama that would be pretty pretty good to listen to true <laughs> <laughs> which is his yeah that's it that's interesting you, I mean, the next question was from one of our audience members in terms of uh, where do you see the preference for ebooks going? Um, and I f- find that fascinating that it is on the decline, um, but all the reasons you've mentioned make sense. Um, yeah. And everyone you speak to, they say, well, well, I'm different. I like a good physical book. And I like to say, well, you're not different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're actually in the majority right here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but, you know, we're prepared, whichever way it goes, you know, we're ready and we're prepared for it. We've got our ebook solution got our audio streaming solution and we've got our physical books, obviously. Yeah. So we promised we'd move away from Amazon. So <laughs> I want to ask about a different competitor, which unfortunately is owned by Amazon. <laughs> um, but it feels like that more that is more and more the case with everything. Um, the book depository, for my mind, is probably one of the major, um, I guess, competitors to you guys in terms of like a similar business model. Um, how do you think about competing with other online uh book retailers and what was your reaction when they got acquired by amazon <laughs> yeah look i think your research you've done well i don't think a lot of people know book depositories owned by amazon people are like i don't support amazon you know i, I shop <laughs> a book depository well, <laughs> book depository is the same as amazon book depository's model when they launched was to disrupt amazon in all the markets that amazon was trying to get into and then get bought by amazon right <laughs> Tick. Yeah, they did it you know yeah, well done yeah. good on them but what that meant is they were undercutting Amazon in all of those markets, losing money hand over fist to undercut Amazon. When Amazon's acquired them, they thought, hold on, why are we losing money to undercut ourselves? And slowly but surely, they've increased their prices. Then when the GST change happened, Book Depository no longer had that you know, ability to undercut by 10% because now they have to pay GST on, in, on all books that come into Australia. So w- what, that, what that means with, with Book Depository um, is you know, and, and not even just book depository, just with all international players, is they're, they're shipping majority of their books from overseas into Australia, um, and it's that time, it's that time to time to get to the customer. Now, being customer centric, I'll take you back. I think it was probably around two thousand and eight, um, and we didn't stock a book at all. You know, we didn't have a single book, and deceptive, deceptively delicious was launched by Jessica Seinfeld, who's Jerry Seinfeld's wife. And she was on the Oprah Book Club. And I don't know if you guys remember the Oprah Book Club. You probably don't. But the Oprah no, Book Bryce Club. No, Bryce is still a, a big follower of the Oprah Book Club. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Oprah Book Club worked in that if Oprah had you on her show, you would sell out of your book. Yeah. And what happened here with, with Jessica Seinfeld is every time they had a replay, we would just see a spike in sales. Until we got to a point where there were no more books, no more of her book left worldwide. And we saw that there were a few left at HarperCollins, a few hundred. And what we did is we bought those copies. We said, we're going to take all of those copies. Mm. And then what we saw is every time we sold one of those books, we get a great glowing review. How good is Booktopia? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and you know how amazing is their service and every time we sell another book we'd be like so slow where's my book what's going on and straight away we realized you know let's put the customer first speed of delivery is important you know it doesn't need to be instant we don't we know same day we've we offer it but we don't see a lot of uptake in it mm. it's all about being able to get your book in that one to two days yeah. and what we see is that with you know international competitors and some of the local competitors if they're not competing in that space of being able to ship the book within one to two days um, they're not competing you know now yeah if they're gonna if they're gonna undercut on price and they're gonna lose money well then yes they'll probably get the sale but we're within the same ballpark of price people are more you know saying well hold on I save a dollar save two dollars I'd rather just get my book you know in the next you know couple of days rather than wait two weeks mm. up to four weeks during COVID um, from yeah, international wow. yeah so when we did the deep dive on Booktopia, we recognized or saw that, um, you know, overall book sales in the industry sort of in the single digits, but within that, the growth of online book sales is sort of skyrocketing relative. But you guys own Angus and Robertson, physical book retailer as well. Where does that sort of sit in the landscape? How do you think about physical book retailers going forward? Are they eventually going to be a thing of the past? Yeah, look, I, I love that you say they're a physical retailer, but they're not. Okay. The, yeah, when they're <laughs> physical and online, I should say. They're, no, they're only online now. So when they went into administration through the Red Group, when Borders went into administration, Angus Robin was part of it. But the point there is that you know the brand. Mm. Mm. You know, in your head, you've got them as a trusted physical retailer, which is great. That's one of the reasons we acquired them. Mm. That brand, that that knowledge of the brand is really good. Um as far as the question of physical book retailers, we support physical book retailers. We're, we're big believers in a good local bookstore mm. where you can walk in and they can say, hey, hey, Wayne, how are you doing? Yeah, how was that last book you read? What about this one? I've got this one. I've, I've held it for you. You know, have a read of it. Let me know what you think. Those retailers will thrive. Those retailers will continue. I have no doubt about it. Where the franchisee model kind of dies off is where you put someone behind the counter who has no knowledge of books. They're just a casual worker who are probably on Facebook and then they look up from the cash register and say, oh, you want to buy that book? Okay, scan it and, and you know, give me your money. So, you know, it's, it's where they add the value and that's in all retail. I'm, I'm talking books here, but you look at all retail. If, if a store is going to add value, you'll go in. If they're just going to expect you to go and pick what, what's right for you, you're going to get a better service online because we'll at least personalize it for you and for your taste. Yeah, that um that last uh, point there around personalizing it um, leads to another question that one of our audience members have. Um, I think in your prospectus you spoke about uh, leveraging the customer database as part of the growth plan, and I assume that means around like really personalizing the experience for customers. Correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> um, but can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, you know, I guess your data strategy and your uh, personalization strategy. Yeah, sure. So books probably gives us the biggest, best insight into people out of any product. Um, there's about three and a half thousand categories on our website. I said six million titles on our website, which means you're shopping across a range of categories. Um, what do I mean by that? So I know if you're into Formula One racing, I know if you're into romance, I know if, if you're into learning a language, but hold on. I know if you're wanting to travel to Europe, you know, I know if you want to cruise the Mediterranean, so I'm even getting a bit deeper there. Um, I know if maybe you're pregnant, you know, I know you've had a baby. Mm. And so what that means is you can really follow someone's journey through life. Um, and we say, you know, you our customer is not short-lived. We don't have a customer. You look at some of the furniture brands and, you know, they've got a very, you know, customers have to be of a certain age before they're buying furniture. Yeah, they're not, they're not at school and they're buying furniture, you know. So 
And then you look at some of the fast fashion retailers. They've also got a very short lifespan with their customer. With books, it's from the time pre, you know, before they're even born, their parents or their mother and their father are buying books about pregnancy. Mm. Even before that, about how to get pregnant. Yeah, and then all the way through, then they have, you know, picture books and hardcover books and then readers and then they get into school and then school textbooks and then they go to university, university textbooks and it it just goes on and then the cycle continues. So that data, while we aren't using it yet, really is a growth strategy for us to understand our customers. We don't need to go to our customer and go, you know, how many kids do you have at home? And, you know, do you like to travel overseas? And, you know, are you learning anything new? I know you're learning piano. I know, you, you know, you, during COVID, you were trying to cook dumplings, you know, you know, whatever it was. And that was a, that was a top seller during COVID. Really? Yeah. Really? Just, yeah, cooking dumplings for some reason. But, sure, you, know, you got a YouTube for that. Anyway. Well, yeah. Interesting. Someone else said the same thing, but we saw a lot of people during COVID, you know, it was a great journey through COVID of watching what people bought, but we saw a lot of people turning to books to learn, to be able to understand cooking or languages or piano was another big one we saw. I still think there's something about reading a book that I retain more information than when I watch a video or something like that. Anyway, that's a side point. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning to, to skateboard. It's a new hobby I've taken up in the last six months. But From a book? Uh, From a book? Uh, no, well, <laughs> I, I'm struggling off YouTube, so maybe <laughs> I, I need to get I a book. I feel that's one where you need to just fall down a few times yeah. and, and just do it. Yeah. yeah. But these hands aren't meant for falling. <laughs> Computer programming yeah. is the problem. <laughs> So you have, um, let's talk about going public in the IPO. Um, you mentioned there that you did try in 2016 and sort of put it on the back burner given, uh, I guess, the inve- investor's sentiment towards the impact that Amazon would have. Why 2020? What, what is it about now that makes it the right time for Booktopia to go public? Yeah, I think yeah, you guys know the markets better than I do. And if you've seen what's happened with e-commerce on the market, it's it's been crazy. Mm. Um we were looking to list it probably early next year um, and then just circumstances as they are. Um, everyone's just saying, well, you, you should get it away this year. So um, interesting, you know, little point and a fun fact that we, we got the listing away in nine weeks, which we want to claim as a record. We still don't know if it is. <laughs> <laughs> we want to claim, and that's really, you know, there was a lot of work that went in before those nine weeks, but from the time we appointed the JLMs through to, you know, ringing the bell, I believe it was nine weeks. So. Mm. Um, 2016 helped with that. Obviously, we'd, we'd done a prospectus before. We'd been through due diligence before. We knew what we were, mm. were coming up to. We weren't, you know, dears in a headlight. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the market conditions for us was really what it was. Um, our business has accelerated, you know, significantly over the last year. Um, truly, would we have got a better value for our business next year? Most likely. Um, the reason I say that is we've just invested heavily in automation. So... What we've been able to do is we put we put twelve million dollars into automation. That funding we took in January, we invested, and we launched that in October. And we really haven't been able to prove out the efficiencies we've we've been able to gain with that automation. We've spoken to them and we we've spoken to all the investors about that, and it's in our prospectus and, and whatnot. But you know, if we really have proven that, you know, my belief is that we may have you know even people are going, yep, that they've proven that they can actually do what they're saying that they can do. But it was just, you know, timing. And I think timing is everything. And I think everyone will, will know that anyone who's trying to ever raise money or raise capital or, or IPO, timing is everything. We learned that in 2016. And we thought, you know, we, we learned that the hard way in 2016. Let's get it done mm. um, now. So, yeah, nice. it worked. Yeah. So, you listed, uh, what, a week ago today or, or a week ago tomorrow? Uh, we yeah, listed so on Thursday, Thursday last week. Yeah. yeah. So, you've been... Uh, 
For, been listed for four days. For context, we are recording on the 9th of December. Good call. We, I should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talk us through talk us through the day you listed. Uh, did it feel like a big weight off your shoulders? Uh, was there a big party in the Booktopia office? And uh, how did the share price go? Yeah, so we um, there was a party in the Booktopia office. We went there. We were at the ASX. So we, you know, we had cupcakes and everyone got there. And <laughs> everyone was wearing their Booktopia t-shirts and they were live streaming the bell ringing and it was a lot of fun. It's a company. Yeah, mm. It's a whole culture thing. And, you know, we can talk cult- culture in a bit. But, you know, for us, it was about involving our staff. Always involve your staff in everything you do. Don't just, you know, they're not they're not your staff. They're part of the family. Mm. Um, so we, we had that for them. And unfortunately, due to COVID, we could only have 40 people at the ASX. So um, all the leadership team being leadership, you know, in Booktopia, it was about 30 staff that came. Um, and then people that worked on the IPO went to the ASX and got to ring the bell, which was a lot of fun. Um, the day for me, I suppose it was, was there a lot of weight off their shoulders? Yeah, I think there was. It was probably a lot of weight off my shoulders probably three weeks earlier once the book had closed and, you know, yeah, once, once, yeah, you know yeah. all of that was done. Once the, you know, there's, there's points along. Once you lodge a prospectus, then you, okay, you don't need to reread that thing another hundred, <laughs> hundred times, you know. And then, you know, the book closes and you go, okay, this is, you know, we're getting there. And then your ASX signs you off and says, yep, you're signed off to go on the board. So it's a journey. So by then, you, the weight's off your shoulders, I suppose. All you're waiting for then on that day is... You know, you're hoping you wake up that morning to read the AFR just to make sure, you know, like yeah, the market's good, nothing's happened somewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We're not, <laughs> the ASX hasn't just fallen over, you yeah. know, yeah. let's go back two weeks. There were some companies who, who woke up to that, which is mm. unfortunate. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then it was just about what's that opening price going to be? Because you obviously want to do right by those investors that have backed you. You don't want to have, you know, go down. So, um, and we did. And um, I don't know the exact, you know, exact numbers on me. Uh, right now i don't f- i try not to follow the share price to be honest otherwise it becomes a total distraction but um we did well um it was funny all the jlms said how do you feel how do you feel it went and i said are you, are you happy and i looked at them and said well are you guys happy because this is my first time doing <laughs> yeah, it yeah, yeah. this yeah, is your four, this is your 40th yeah. time doing it and they said yeah we're extremely happy i said well then i'm happy yeah, you know nice. so yeah. and it was all about you know doing right by the investors you know we're here long term mm-hmm. this management team this executive team we're here long term we're heavily invested in the company still um, and so for us, it's what's that long-term price going to be? Yeah. Day four, who knows? Doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, we like seeing managers who are invested in the long-term, don't just take the pop and then sell out, but also investors that come on that journey as well. So um, it's good to see. Speaking of management, one of the things that lots of in professional investors say is, you know, management is everything when it comes to investing in a company. So we'd love to get your opinion, Wayne, on your philosophy when it comes to leadership, um, do you have one? How do you view yourself as a leader? I mean, you've got two pretty significant leadership positions in two big tech companies. Yeah, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, the, look, I've got a number of different thoughts here. The first one, and it's become very hard since we're publicly listed, but it's transparency. We believe in being transparent to our staff, but also out to the market now. Continuous disclosure laws, all of that. You know, we've had to really learn very quickly. We had some discussions with lawyers and all the rest, and what is all this stuff? And now we actually understand it all. We can't be as transparent as we as we used to be. We used to, you know, talk numbers all the time. Mm. You know, talk, which, talk. which seems contradictory, given that the ASX is meant to make companies be more transparent, and you guys have had to rein it back in. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe yeah, we're still transparent in a way, but 
we need to go through the right mm. channels to do it. If you know what I mean, yeah, I, I can't yeah, just yeah. pop, you can't out, just tell us pop out a fun yeah. fact here now with you, which I, I would have done in the past. Yeah. We're completely transparent as a company. It's just, you've got to first notify the ASX yeah, yeah, yeah. before I can tell yeah. you something that might make the price move or, you know, something. it's, it's regulated transparency. Exactly. So, so for us, you know, but if I talk internally, you know, internally, we are super transparent. You know, we've always told our team everything about how the company is going good and bad, you know, what the you know what our revenues are, what our margins are, where, where we're heading, what we're trying to do, what our strategy is. Mm. Um, the second one is listening to our staff, so taking things from the ground up. You know, really listening to the feedback we get and changing things as they, you know, as they come to us. Um, it's an it was an interesting transition, probably about probably about five years ago, six years ago, when we went from being a startup in our heads to being a company. And so what happened there is, you know, everyone who was along the journey for for the five or six years that I was there was used to getting promoted and people would build underneath you and the company would grow and everyone knew everything and everyone would, you know, would be across everything. And then all of a sudden you become a company and then people are getting hired into positions and there's not that progression, you know, up, up the chain. There's not that, you know, automatic, you know, I started as the first software engineer and found myself as the CTO. You know what I mean? Not, you know, I built a team underneath me and grew into my position and proved myself. But there wasn't those opportunities and you have to make those opportunities happen. You've got to, you know, focus on people's career development. You need to, you know, make sure that they are progressing, that they are going in the direction they want to go, that they're getting the training they want to get. And I think there was a, a period there where we where we probably fell short. This was about five or six years ago. And we heard that. We heard that from our staff to say, guys, we're not progressing. Yeah. The transparency is not there anymore. And the transparency wasn't there anymore because it used to be that we were all around a table and we'd all chat about what's happening. Now, all of a sudden, we all couldn't fit around a table. You had to actually now tell the leaders to tell their teams what was happening, send out emails, notify staff of certain things that were happening. So for us, transparency has been key. And my number one, you know, the, we've spoken about the customer, customer-centric approach, and it'll be in any business that I'm ever involved in. It'll always be what does the customer want? You know, how can I make this product for the customer? Not for me, you know, not for my co-founder, not for the P&L. You know, what does the customer want? Because... It, at the end of the day, if you get the customer right, that'll flow into your PL. You'll get the sales, you'll get everything you need, and it'll just flow into flow flow through. But the key one for me is learning from your mistakes. Um, I've got a big philosophy, and you know, especially being in tech, people make mistakes. And some of those mistakes can be costly. Um, but I'm never the one to, you know, to to hit someone off the back over the back of the head or the back of the ear and say, yeah, you've made a mistake, very bad. We'll sit down and we'll say, okay, what happened? Why did it happen? Let's not make that same mistake again. Because if you make the same mistake again, that's where I'll hit you over the back of the head. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, come on, guys. We haven't learned from our mistakes. Yeah. So it, it's crucial to be you know, learning from your mistakes and learning along the journey because otherwise you're never going to grow. Yeah. And you'll always think what you're doing is right. and Most likely it's, it's not. So just one more question on people and culture. If you think like for the whole team, not just the leadership team, what culture are you trying to build at uh, Booktopia? Do you guys have a sort of a vision or a motto or a phrase that you try and use to embody the, the culture throughout the organization? Uh, look, we don't, I'll, I'll be honest. We don't have a, you know, for us, it's about, you know, just valuing our employees, making sure everyone feels like, you know, valued, um, listening to everyone's opinion. It's, it's very important. You know, I've, I've learned that the hard way that sometimes you make a decision and if people don't feel like their opinion's been heard, they don't want to go with the decision. But if you hear their opinion and still go with that same decision, it makes a, a big difference um, because they were able to contribute to that decision. So we don't have a, a motto or anything, you know, it's, 
you know, we, we believe in empowered people. So that's one of our, you know, one of our core values. I've spoken about customer obsession, spoken about learning from our mistakes. The other one is empowered people, and that's empowered employees. They feel they're empowered to make change. They're empowered to, you know, make decisions um, and stand by those decisions, you know, because they need to be held accountable for those decisions. So the last, uh, I guess, theme we want to talk about is the future and future plans. And there's a few questions here. I want to I want to start with, I guess, the profit question. Uh, so... As you mentioned earlier, Booktopia has had incredible top-line growth, incredible revenue growth. Um, the last four years, going from 111 million, 129 million, 165 million to over 200 million, so you've almost doubled your revenue in four years. The profit hasn't really come there as well. Is that? I guess the question, first question is why, uh, and then the second question is, um, do you guys have a plan to sort of um, turn that profit on at some point? Yeah, look, we're profitable. Um, we've been profitable for the last couple of years. We're one of few you know, e-commerce retailers that can actually say, yep, we are profitable. Um, we did 6 million in EBITDA uh, last year, and I think this year, I'll have to, you know, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure it was 9 million in the prospectus, and if it's not, we can edit that out. Um, <laughs> but um, And, and we, we see that growing, and that profitability is going to come from automation in that distribution center. So we've spoken about that first part that, that went live in October, the next thing I'm working on at the moment with my team is robots in the DC. Um, oh, cool. So you know that that goes live um, first quarter, first finan- uh, first uh, calendar quarter next year, or you know, third financial quarter, um, and that will have robots picking books from shelves and and putting books on shelves. And we really see that you know allowing us to grow our capacity in our distribution center, grow our stock holding in our distribution center, but also then giving us um, some good uh, you know benefits of uh, economic scale. Um, so that we can then drop more to the bottom line. And it, it's all about pushing more volume through the distribution center. The more you can push through the distribution center, the cheaper it is per unit that goes out, and then it, it falls to the bottom line. So, you know, we, we have lofty ambitions of, of our profits and that we see going forward. Um, we're a profitable company. We're proud to be a profitable company, mm. and we see that growing into the future. Yeah, sorry, I should have clarified. It's the, the bottom line growth hasn't reflected the, that growth rate in the top line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So other than automation and robots in the DCs and distribution, well, distribution centers, what else is in the pipeline for Booktopia over the next 12 months? So we recently, or probably two years now, we launched a distribution business. So we're actually now distributing for international publishers. So the book industry has a lot of people taking a lot of, you know, clip of the ticket along the way, like probably every industry, but books in particular, you've got, a, you've got the author who then has a publisher. The publisher then uses a distributor the distributor then distributes the books to the retailer and the retailer then sells the books. Um, and so we see that, you know, we've taken one step into that and now we're becoming the distributor. So we've got publishers from overseas who didn't have representation in Australia. What that's allowing us to do is to ship books to customers faster, um, but also, you know, be that distributor for them using our current infrastructure. And then we're also, uh, we've got a publishing arm. So we're also now taking on smaller authors. We're not we're not here to take the big authors. We're never going to be able to do, you know, do them justice. But taking some of those smaller authors who do sell a lot of copies of their book um, and we're publishing them and then distributing them through our distribution arm. So as we just work through, you know, work up the supply chain, um, that's one of the big things that's there for Booktopia. Growing, obviously, in books, um, um, especially in the academic area, we, we acquired the co-op bookstore, the University oh, yeah. Campus yeah. Bookstore. Uh, late last year. My favorite bookstore. <laughs> 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 so, um, 
the comic book store, they focused on the Australian Geographic, um, which they had the stores to, and they saw that as their, their, their cash cow. And they really just let academic books go. And, you know, you'd go to a university campus bookstore and they would have three copies of a book and there were 70 people in the course. Mm. And we picked up on that really quickly. Publishers were coming to us saying, we need your support. We said, sure, no problem. And we were taking on enormous risk. But we would have like 30 copies or 50 copies of a $300 textbook mm. on our shelves. What it meant is that when a student went to their co-op bookstore and it didn't have it, or where they were online on their phone and the lecturer said, this is the book you need, we were there, yeah, we had the product yeah. and we shipped it. And what that means is we're going to grow that, that, that area of our business um, and really, you know, get that business um, moving forward. Um, so, you know, along with the yeah, other areas of our business. So it's a multi-pronged attack. Um, we are Australia's bookstore and we want to continue just growing in, in that direction. So I guess there's always risks to business. If, uh, if you were to think about all of them uh, for Booktopia, uh, what would be the biggest risk for your business over the next 12 months? It's a hard one and um, the biggest risk to our business obviously like yeah, we, we, we were talking through the prospectus risks you know you have to do a section in the in the prospectus and i said well our biggest risk and someone said wayne what's our biggest risk i go well the internet goes down yeah <laughs> literally that would be a big risk yeah, for you guys and, you know, i mean like, that's a lot of businesses are going to struggle yeah. but think about it Amazon. Like, well uh, equity mates is done if the true, if, no true. one will hear this interview if the internet goes down so i think that's you know our biggest risk is some disruption in our supply chain of some description um, we saw it with COVID. Um, luckily, we do stock a lot of our books and luckily we do have a lot of distributors in Australia. So we were over to over, uh, able to overcome that. But that disruption in our supply chain has meant that our books coming from overseas have been a bit slower to come, which then is you know, an impact on our customer. So yeah, I, I hate you know, trying to think what is our biggest you know, risk. People say, what keeps you up at night? That's the other question we often get. And I say nothing, I'm exhausted, I just go to sleep. So, but it's, it's things like that. It's, it's a disruption in some, some either supply, you know, through digital or supply physical um, could be, you know, our big, big challenges or our big risks. So Wayne, to close it out, it's been a fascinating interview. So thank you for your time. Um, if you think about Booktopia in 10 years, 20 years, you know, you guys are still shareholders, still running the company. What does success look like for you? Yeah, success looks like just growing a, a big business, to be honest. It, it, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're Australia now, um, you know, growing that into a, a, into a, a pretty big business. Um, and then, you know, where do we go next would be the thing. Getting that distribution business really pumping, using our supply chain, um, using our tech and our logistics um, to its capacity, getting the efficiencies out of our distribution center um, so that we can, you know, just ship books to our customers as quick as possible. Um, but also, you know, as cheaply as possible. Um, and then just to be able to supply Australia with, with books, you know, e-books, audio books, or physical books, whichever way it might be. So that's success to us. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the growth of the business is number one, and that, that relies on our customers and, and servicing our customers really well. Mm. Well, congrats on the IPO. What a journey. Second time round. Um, I can imagine it would be a good feeling. So... We're looking forward to seeing how IPO grows over the next few years. I know a lot of our audience are interested in it as well. Thank you for your time today. Very much appreciated getting an insight into your journey and uh, Booktopia more broadly. So appreciate it, Wayne. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. 
The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.